the Spud Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. He calls to you, who the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Trumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, and our Ola. My name is Spud Goodman. <laughs> Spud Goodman. <laughs> and I will be your master of ceremonies during the next 58 and a half minutes. You know, it's a task better left to professionals as amateurs attempting this at home could inflict bodily harm or endanger others, which would be unfortunate. So let me now introduce our show's designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Hey, can you can you give us a quick chuckle or something to verify your amazing talents? <laughs> All right, thank you for that. And now I'm contractually obligated to also introduce the show's temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. Please wiggle your nose to acknowledge my gesture. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I'm I'm not able to wiggle my nose, Spud. You know, very few people can do that. No, really. uh, Elizabeth Montgomery on Bewitched could do it on cue. What's with you, Johan? You really need to, like, develop some life skills that would serve you well in your professional life on the radio? Well, I, I guess I could work on it. But it, it, how about this? In lieu of a nose wiggle, let me say how excited I am for what we have on this show. I know Unless it's Unless there be... was a breach of security, we both know you have no idea who or what is on this show, oh. as you continue to be a security risk with my intellectual properties. Yeah, you know, I will never understand how me receiving a simple show schedule would be putting your intellectual properties in any jeopardy. I'm the co-host of this gosh darn program. Don't be so overly dramatic about it. And there have been a number of in-house intellectual property thefts over the last few months, okay? It hurts me to deny you essential show information prior to going on the air, but with the wide reach of the internet, I just can't take the risk. You know, hopefully someday you will be properly vetted and cleared. But I've been with this show for over two years. How long does it take to properly vet me? I'm an open book, Spud. Your paranoia, it's a major impediment in me becoming a more significant participant in the show. Uh, how can I increase my role if I don't have basic information of what's going on each week? I, I think your role is just fine as it is. So, moving on, what uh, I wanted to discuss on the show now is the healthcare mess in this country, as it's starting to impact me, Spud Goodman, as I have to go see a doctor. Yeah, well, you can thank Barack Obama as he gave us this train wreck. I, I know so many of us tried to sound the warning call when it was first introduced by the liberals in Congress, Spud. Obamacare is the worst thing to happen to this country since, uh, well, since Obama was first elected. I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. I'm pretty sure the greatest president ever would have been able to fix, like totally fix, you know, the health care issue if those freaking Tea Party wackos wouldn't have created such a stink. I mean, what country lets a bunch of companies sell coverage just to see a doctor? 
And it only makes common sense. I mean, they have the power to decide who lives or dies. Talk about death panels. No, no, no. That is the free market, and it's what makes this country great. You and your socialist friends don't understand basic economy. Socialists? Yeah. Listen, the free market is just fine with stuff like cars and TVs and fast food, but not life and death. You, you do know we're the only major Western country in the world that does not provide basic health care to all of its citizens. It's embarrassing. Listen, one does not have to die if they get sick or injured. They just need to save up for a potential health problem instead of buying the new Kenneth Lamar CD. Um, um... You suck! You know, when we Americans couldn't afford health care, we used to barter with our family doctor. There are ways to which to address this short of a government takeover, which would be the end of this country as we know it. Uh, yeah. Swap a batch of cookies for a tonsillectomy. All I know is I have to now let some doctor stick his finger in my butt as I'm due for that prostate exam thingy, you know? This one goes in your butt. Hang on a second. This one, this one goes in your mouth. I mean, I've been putting it off for years, and you know, but, but I keep reading all the scary stuff on Facebook yeah. about you know needing to do this test. So I'm probably gonna go through with it, even though my deductible is like ten thousand dollars now. Well, if you could wait a bit, help is on the way, Spud. Our current House of Representatives has created a very well thought out oh, really? repeal and replace oh, initiative yeah. to Obamacare that could knock down your deductible to say. I don't know, 8,000 or so annually. That's ridiculous. It would still take me maybe 30 visits and fingers up my butt to even reach that deductible. Well, anyway, that, that's not coverage. So, all right, well, it's, it's, it's music. It's time. It's time, all right? Okay, I need okay. it. So uh, we thought, you know, it'd be kind of keen to go back and pull a few past performances on my show. So this one is from my Foxnet cable TV program. It's Evan Dando uh, on a solo tour in 1996. Yeah, he took a break from the Lemonheads and did a solo tour. Anyway, this tune that he recorded for us is titled The Outdoor Type. Here it is. Always had a roof above me, always paid the rent. And I never set foot inside a tent I couldn't build a fire to save my life I lied about being the outdoor type I never slept out underneath the stars The closest that I came to that Was one time my car Broke down for an hour In the suburbs at night I lied about being The outdoor type Too scared to let you know You knew what you were looking for I lied until I fit the bill God bless the great indoors I lied about being the outdoor type I never owned a sleeping bag Let alone a mountain bike
I can't go away with you on a rock climbing weekend What if something's on TV and it's never shown again It's just as well I'm not invited I'm afraid heights I lied about being the outdoor type I never learned to swim, I can't grow a beard or even fight I lied about being the outdoor type This is the Spy Goodman Show This is the Spy Goodman Show I'm W. Kamau Bell from CNN's United Shades of America, and I'm totally confused as to how I ended up on the Spud Goodman Show. Uh, Spud, yes, your first guest, Newt Gingrich, is waiting to speak with you. I-, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have him on the show. A former Speaker of the House of Representatives. Well, we we've had you know past majority leaders of the U.S. Senate, Trent Lott and Tom Daschle on last year, I think it was. So so I've had politicians on this show before. Again, we are here in the sanctuary of democracy. Yeah, but but this is Newt Gingrich, the leader of the Republican Revolution in the 90s. And, you know, he wrote uh, The Contract for America. Yeah, I'm aware of this. I'm assuming he's on a promotional tour for his new book, Understanding Trump. Right. Uh, I got it last week, and I finished it in like two hours because I could not put it down. I thought I already understood President Trump, but now I really, really understand him. Okay, I get it. You love Newt Gingrich. I do. I myself have to be professional here and conduct an interview, not a fan club session. Spud, do me a favor. No jokes or fake news about our current commander-in-chief. Fair and balanced. It's who we are. You know, you're going to say he's cozying up to Russia, and it's just not true. Uh, okay. Well, very well. But just, can I can I just do this dang thing? It's going to be tough. You know, I said I'd be professional, but I, I'm not going to lie and say I dig Trump because I, unlike you and his staff around him, do not worship false idols. Just uh, put them on, yeah, please. Very well. Here is Mr. Gingrich. Please welcome former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Thanks for coming on our show. I'm delighted to be with you. All right, super. Well, you have a new book out titled Understanding Trump. I would say it's a very timely one, as millions of Americans are now struggling to understand this man and his impact on the American political system. Guys like me, who's your target audience with this book? Well, I think the target audience is anybody who's curious about Donald Trump. Um, That's everybody. It it hit me in November and early December that all the people who were wrong about Trump when he announced, and they were wrong about Trump in the primaries, and they were wrong about Trump in the convention, and they were wrong about Trump in the general election, they hadn't learned anything. They were equally wrong about Trump as president. So I thought there's there's a core thing going on here. He is an entrepreneur. He is totally different. All the traditional political models do not apply to him. Uh, and it was almost funny. And so I you know, set out to try to put down how to understand him. This book doesn't, is not about how to defend Trump. I mean, he has weaknesses, he has strengths, but he is a unique entrepreneur. He comes at it with no record of public service, the first president in history to have no record of public service. And so he's having to learn like crazy 
uh, but it's very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, well, it's apparent Donald Trump in coming up with his winning recipe pretty much destroyed the ABCs of politics and, and, you know, more importantly, maybe what our parents taught us as kids, like don't call others names like Little Marco, Crooked Hillary, and Lying Ted, stuff like that. But it worked. It worked. So yeah. it's, it's going well, to be... Was, you know, no, nobody in Washington understood that, that Trump had run The Apprentice for 13 years. So he really knew his audience and he really knew television much better than any other candidate. And he knew that if you, and it's one of the things that struck me, one of the reasons I wrote the book is, frankly, I wanted to rethink what did I know about Trump. Uh, and it hit me as I was writing the book that he, does, he doesn't do attacks as much as he does branding. And so it really started with Jeb Bush, who was his most dangerous yeah. opponent. Jeb raised, you know, Jeb raised $110 million. I mean, he was a very formidable candidate. Uh, but Trump figured out this angle of saying, you know, low-energy Jeb. And it got inside Bush's head, and he ended up running around New Hampshire to prove he had energy. And people in New Hampshire thought he was slightly nuts. I mean, you look up, you go, in New Hampshire, you don't run around to prove you can be president. Right. I mean, it just looks strange. Uh, Spud, yeah, you know, the staff around this studio has often called you low-energy Spud. And this was well before Donald Trump came up with that name for Jeb Bush. Uh, I guess you have something in common with Jeb. Uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, just give me a second here. I have nothing in common with Jeb Bush, and I am not low energy. I just pace myself, and it can be mistaken. I know, know I know low energy is a term a lot of people use when they talk about you. I'm not sure a former governor of Florida could be nearly as lazy as a small-time talk show host as he's accomplished so much in his life. Hey, 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 I've accomplished a bunch of stuff, too. Like I... I got that award from that online radio hall of fame. Oh, the one that you had to pay for, and the certificate says that you were accepted into their hall of fame, that one? Yeah, I was accepted. Well, one of the interns got one of those, too, and he thought it would look good on his resume. Look, if you don't have anything positive to say right now, just keep it to yourself. You're trying to get into my head. Just let me get back to Newt. You know, what you were mentioning... It, it, it's going to kind of be tough, though, for like future parents to tell their kids that, you know, be nice to others line and, and unless they want their kids to be losers in their career because he it's it's just a totally new way to go about, you know, business, I think. But well, look, I, I think I, but, but, I, but most of the time, you know, that, that's a direct competition thing. And it's a, it was a unique moment in time. Uh, I think if you go out and you look at uh, Trump and his golf courses and Trump at his hotels uh, or Trump and his high rises like Trump Towers, you know, they run very positive organizations. They're very nice to the customers. Uh, they understand that you, you can't go around and beat people up all the time. Right. Um, and I think in that, but, but, but where he does represent a break with the left is Trump does believe in winning. And he thinks winning is a positive value and he wants people to go out and learn how to win. Yeah. And of course, some people on the left are opposed to the idea of winning. Uh, and think that it's inappropriate. Uh, but Trump wouldn't agree with that. Well, I'm kind of on the left, and uh, I guess, yeah, but I, and I like to win, but I don't, I don't know. Let me ask you this. In, in your book, Understanding Trump, do you cover a trait of his that I have the most difficulty understanding? And that's his refusal to apologize to anyone. Those who know him well have said he's never acknowledged he was wrong and apologized oh. in his adult life. You're a good friend yeah. of his. Has he ever said he was sorry to you? No, and I, and I and I doubt if he will. I think I think part of part of the lesson Trump learned growing up in in a very very tough uh, market in New York City on in Manhattan is to always plow forward. I mean, he is he never backs up. He he's always on offense, uh, and he finds it extraordinarily hard to admit that he's wrong. Wow. Okay. All right. It's, it's just who he is, and it's that's how he's gotten to where he has where he's gotten. 
I have a hard time having a friend like that, but I, he must have friends, I guess. So anyway, all right. Oh, yeah. His brother, listen, he has a lot of friends. He has a lot of people who like him. And, and uh, you know, as long as you start with the idea that he's a character uh, and you don't think you don't expect him to be normal, yeah. uh, he's, he's pretty. that's why understanding Trump, I think, is a value because he is different and it's worth thinking about why is he different and, and how does that work its way out. Yeah, I interviewed him years ago on one of his book tours for my television show, and uh, yeah, I mean, he seemed like a personable guy, but um, I sh- yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever be a... Fr- I don't know. Hey, Spud. Oh, uh, yeah? Well, hey, Mr. Speaker, uh, again, I'm sorry about this, and I'll be really quick here. Right. You're going to interrupt me again? I'm interviewing the former Speaker of the House of Representatives. Once was enough. I, I, I know, but I, I just wanted to add that you, Spud, have never ever apologize to me that I can remember, but I'm still your friend. Friend? Yeah, okay, whatever, but I'm pretty sure I have apologized to you before, like at last year's Christmas party, you know, the potluck thing we had, when I said that your wife's Rice Krispie treats kind of sucked, and she overheard me, but I apologized to her, you know, sort of. Telling Rachel that her Rice Krispie treats really didn't suck that bad was not a sincere apology, Spud. Uh, Really, she's still hurt from that experience. Well, well, my mother, may she rest in peace, made the most amazing Rice Krispie treats, and and I tried to tell your wife that it was nothing personal. It was just that the bar was set so high by my mom. Well, you can't criticize our current commander-in-chief, President Donald Trump, for something you yourself display in your own life. Now you're comparing me to, to him? No, no, I would never compare you to the greatest president since Ronald Reagan. That would not be right. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Anyway, just let me finish up this dang interview. Um, on the show, we're discussing health care in America or the, or the lack of it. And I know President Trump's, uh, his, President Trump's position on this issue. He wants a fabulous system for us all. But, huh, but do you, Newt Gingrich, think it should be a right for all citizens or remain a product on the free market like buying a car or a boat? What do you think? Well, I would, I would draw a distinction. I, I think that having access to health care when you're sick should be something that we as a society want to have happen for everybody. Uh, because we want to be a compassionate society, and because that could be you or your daughter or your mother. Yeah. Uh, so I think in that sense, we have a, a, a bit of, but it's whether you want to call it a right or you want to call it a charitable obligation, I think all of us believe that if somebody is sick, they ought to have access to care. Yes. The question I have is we, we spend all of our time in Washington fighting over insurance. What, what, if, what if you could use, for example, the 8,000 federal health clinics to make sure that every person has access to care whether or not they have insurance. Uh, now, do we now also have to fight over 100% insurance coverage? Uh, because there are ways to organize health care that are dramatically less expensive than what we're currently doing. I mean, dramatically less expensive. But do we need a middleman? Do we really need insurance in this process? That's what everybody wants. Well, I think it depends. I think clearly for, for larger problems, you need a middleman, whether it's the government or it's an insurance company, because you're not going to have enough savings for a big problem. But I think actually you could back out of most smaller problems. Uh, I've, I've been talking to some people. I met with a group of medical doctors last week who have who have a, a direct to, to personal care where they they contract directly with you. They don't have any. They take cash. They don't have any insurance companies. Their prices are unbelievably low, uh, right. and they just say they've cut out all the paperwork, all the middlemen. 
and they think they're probably the future. All right, all right. Well, you know, I know slogans are important in politics, but can you explain what this Make America Great Again really means? Because I think America's always been great, even with our problems and obvious issues. What decade or century is well, he referring I think, to? I think a lot of people felt that we have been decaying, that our schools aren't as good as they should be, that we have way too many people who are unemployed, uh, that you have a whole series of problems that have made us less than the country, the momentum we once had as a country. And I think it resonated. I, I thought that was part of Trump's genius. He, he didn't produce hats that said Trump. He produced hats that said, make America great again. So he was, in effect, allying himself with the patriotic sentiment, which is at the heart of the American experience. So he's not really like referring like the 1860s or something like that. He's, he's, uh, it's, it's more of a... It's, if anything, he's probably referring to the mood we had coming out of World War II. All right, all right, all right. Well, on that note, I'm going to let you go because I, I know you have meetings right. and other things to, to attend to. So I will remind That's our great. listeners that your new book, Understanding Trump, is now available everywhere. Thank you so much for coming on our Thank show. You. These people, dressed as they are, come from all over the United States to make deals here in the marketplace of America. Let's make a deal. And now, here's America's top trader, TV's big dealer. Hey, yeah, uh, Spud. Yes? I'm being told that the show's resident psychic, Ted Marr, is holding on the line. Super. Put him on. Uh, should I do his... Yeah, uh, but his, do his, his plug. Do okay, his okay. Plug. Come on. Here, uh, Ted Marr can be heard each Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. on KKNW, 1150 a.m. in Seattle and on the web. Here he is. Everyone say hello to Psychic Mr. Ted Marr. Thanks for doing what you do for our show, Ted. Well, thanks, but it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So I wanted to ask you about Elvis, as, you know, he's been on my mind lately, actually. You know, I guess you already knew that, right? Uh, yeah, that was dumb. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering yeah. if, you know, in that third dimension or, or wherever he is now hanging out, is he taking better care of himself? I hope he's dropped a few pounds and is eating better because I hope to meet up with him, you know, when my time comes to leave yeah. this dimension I'm in right now. You know, a, a guy... A guy can't give himself another heart attack in the afterlife, can he? Well, I have to tell you a funny story. And he's, this is, I just, Elvis just popped in, actually. Right. And his, his, his appearance is not when he passed on, because he was having some health difficulties then, but rather when he was a young man in the, um, I believe it was in the Army? It was in the service. He was in the, in the Army, yes, he was in the Army. He was in the Army. And I'm looking at him now, and... Um, he flip flops between that image and his singing and his singing appearance, but he he's definitely a younger a younger person now. And when you pass over on the other side, the really cool thing, Spud, is you can choose the physical form that you want to appear to people that you that you had in, in your previous life. Well, that that's what I was kind of touch on because I was going to ask you for a description of what he's looking like. Is he because I wanted to know if he was still into the white you know sequence jumpsuit thing or has he gone back to the early rockabilly look? You know, because when we do meet up, I, I won't be judgy, but I'm going to tell him that the early look was so much cooler and, and much better for eternity. Is is ne never go out of fashion. Cool is cool no matter what the era. Right, right. Well, he is in that um, that that earlier uh, um, earlier outfit that you, that you see. Good. Um, he, he prefers that much better than than the, than the later one. Man, I'm feeling a lot better. Thank you for that. Well, is is Colonel Parker still trying to micromanage him these days? I sure hope not. You you'd think that death would terminate any contract, no matter how ironclad it was. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so the colonel's not even is not around, so he's not bugging him anymore. 
Uh, he's around, but he's not bugging him. It's a very different kind of relationship on the other side. For one thing, as soon as you pass over, you get access to universal, what they call universal knowledge and truth. And you're also, uh, love is the currency of the, of the other side in the, in the fifth and higher dimension. So that, so that when you think of someone like Elvis, if you send them lots of love and light, um, they, they really enjoy that. It really helps mood, lift their moods and, and they feed off of that. Oh, okay, super. Spud. Yes. Well, can I ask a personal question? What? Well, when was the last time you told someone you loved them? I have never heard you utter the word love. I've said it before. When and to whom? Uh, well, you know, you know, it might have been a couple years ago. I told my mailman I, I liked him. I liked him a lot because he never accidentally gave me other people's mail by mistake. Because my old mailman used so to always... So you can't remember when you last told another person you loved them. That is sad. Okay, I tell my goldfish Jeff I love him at least once a week. Just let me get back to Ted, though, okay? Well, can you find out if there are Elvis impersonators in that third dimension, too? Because I would bet yes, because it's a pretty big industry, like, at least in this dimension. Because our show's orchestra, Accordion Joe, the world's only accordion playing Elvis impersonator, still wears his jumpsuit and wig around in his off hours, because people dig it so much. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, there, there are impersonators. He, he always gets a, Elvis always gets a chuckle when he sees them running around trying so there, to impersonate oh, So there are impersonators in the th Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, there are some. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I guess on that note, I'll, I'll end this, but that, that's my, that was my big question. You answered it. Uh, thank you for that. Okay, well, there you have it. Our resident psychic, Mr. Ted Marr. Thank you so much, Ted. My pleasure, but have a wonderful day. Spud's not going anywhere, and neither should you. The Spud Goodman Radio Show returns in just a moment. This ain't government cheese, it's Spud. Goodman. My baby left me for another guy. She dug him because he had a meth lab in that double wire. Trailer down the street, he had a meth lab In that trailer down the street We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. You know, Spud, regarding your fear of undergoing a prostate exam, yeah. you will find it to be a painless and not at all uncomfortable experience. I myself have one each year. Some For some years now, really, I've had my doctor perform it every six months. Yeah, well, maybe you enjoy butt play, but well, I am no. somewhat you know, private about that region of my body. Can I ask... How do you afford to see a doctor so often anyway? Well, our family doctor... What's your deductible? Well, listen, he's a member of our church, and we, like others in our congregation, have an arrangement with him. What do you mean, arrangement? Well, as Mormons, we develop skills that are useful in the world. You know, instead of instructing our kids on how to snowboard, they're taught how to can, quilt, and tan leather. That's so hot. Tan leather? Yeah. Yeah, yeah kids really dig doing that. Uh, but can I ask, are you all in some kind of renegade offshoot of the church? I mean, what is it, a, a Donner Party tribute sect? <laughs> no, no. We just believe in teaching our children the basic skills past generations were exposed to, you know, should they ever need to use them if our economy is ever taken over by those on the left. 
We are prepared to overcome any obstacles that are set in our way. In this case, our doctor accepts a small fee for his services, and then we have the option of supplementing the payment with the service that he might be able to use. Uh, Like, uh, oh, you know, mowing his lawn or doing a tune-up on his car, maybe house cleaning. That is messed up, yo. I don't have basic skills, so that's not an option for us normal Americans. You know, spending a day or two in the hospital can now cost more than buying a freaking house. That's not right. You know, as I said, I have no problem with that free market thing, you know, jacking up the price of some stuff like Big Macs or pizza, just not the stuff that can save lives. I know you're now going to bring up that young hedge fund investor who increased the price of that drug, Uh, uh, Daraprim. You know, his company owned the rights to it. Right, yes. I think his name is Martin Skrilly. Isn't that right? These guys, they make millions of dollars. They're smart as hell. Well, making him the boogeyman in this situation, it doesn't serve your argument well. Spud, if you owned the rights to that drug, you know you would have charged as much as the market would bear also. What kind of businessman charges less than what people are willing to pay for a product? Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me, though. That little punk Skrilly, whatever the hell his name is, should stay in hiding the rest of his miserable life. Yes! You know, now if I did own the rights to, to something that could save the lives of people, I, I probably would try to make a profit. I well, mean, yeah. I, I read, you know, it costs like 30 bucks to make that EpiPen thing, you know? So I, I could still make major bank if I charged like $99.99, don't you think? Well, if the federal government told a business how much it, it, how much it could charge for medicine, I mean, what would come next? Mandatory pot smoking? Or how about internment camps? And, and where yeah, would... done before. Yeah. Where would the capital for continued innovation come from if that... What's happened? your name, scumbag? Damn, though. Can't, can't you people compromise and say an 800% profit on something that can keep a kid alive is enough? Well, how much is enough? Spud, it's the principle here. You either believe in the free market or you don't. What's it going to be? We all have to make a decision. Any. Meany, miny, moe. You know, if you choose to live in a country where Big Brother decides what you look, can I, charge look, for... I, I think I've heard of this whole thing. This, this is like a recorded message, right? Yeah. I've heard it before, so just check and see if our next guest is ready to go. Yes! Uh, and I am being told by the board that your next guest, Alan Alda, is holding on all the right, line. Cool. You. you know, I'm a longtime fan, and not just Mash, but most of all the stuff he's done over the years. I must say, I was a much bigger fan of Gary Berghoff, the actor who played Radar on Mash. I kind of felt a connection with his character. Well, what is the question? That's nice to know, but he's not a guest on this show. Alan Alda is. He he has a new book out that I'll be talking to him about, so don't interrupt me when I'm in a deep discussion with him, okay? I know our producer is giving you the green light now to interject when you feel the need, but with this guy, please don't feel any needs, okay? Yeah, I I can't promise that, Spud. I have no idea how I'll respond to your interview with Alan. You know, my commentary is very organic. People who are determined that ideology is more important than facts. Just know you will never, ever be allowed to actually speak with a guest. That will never happen on my watch. Just put Alan on. All right, here he is. I'm now speaking with actor, author, screenwriter, and director Alan Alda. We appreciate you coming on our show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Now, I want to know a little bit about you. How'd you get the name Spud? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a very long and convoluted uh, story that uh, I know you're such a busy man, but maybe I'll, how about if I send you like the an email version, like uh, so I can write it out because it's so. Okay. Yeah. Such a short name with a long story. That's Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Well, you know, you have a new book out titled "If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face?" Published by Random House. So developing better communication skills between human beings might actually give us hope that we can get things back on track here on Earth. That would be a good thing, right? How do we do this? Well, wouldn't that be nice if yeah. we get things back on track here on Earth? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, almost everything we do with one another, it seems to me, whether it's in a marriage or a relationship or parents and children, bosses and employees or selling or diplomacy, it all depends on communication. If the communication is not so good, then the outcome is not going to be so good. They're going to be strange feelings and people won't be working well together. People on teams, teams are constantly wasting time at meetings because they can't communicate. Yeah, I agree. And and, and all and what it boils down to is, is like what's in the title of the book. If, if you're not paying attention to the look on my face or whatever other cues and clues you can get from me about whether I'm understanding you, then you don't know whether you're getting through to me. And wow, I like how that. You, how you find out how to really get good at that is what the book is about. I mean, I can say it in one sentence, but to, to really get good at it, it takes, it takes practice. Right. Let's say Spud. Uh, excuse me, Alan, just for a second. What? Well, I would be more than willing to buy Alan's book for you, as it sounds like a, a topic that addresses one of your major shortfalls. Shortfalls? Yeah. What, what the heck is a shortfall again? Speak modern English, dude. Well, you clearly have deficient listening skills. You're quite often, way often reading people, you know, while you talk to them. Remember when you got into that argument with your mailman? It, it happened when I dropped by your place a few months ago. My mailman and I don't argue. We get along great, you know, like most of the time. Well, I remember him telling you to quit putting one stamp on packages you mail out when they obviously need many more stamps. You told him, thank you for noticing, you were conserving stamps, and he didn't seem to appreciate your logic. Well, I, I thought I was doing my part in stopping the, the wasteful overuse of postage stamps. It was a clear example of what Alan's trying to say in his book. People need to listen carefully and take the body language in of who they're talking to. Your mailman was very agitated in that conversation. You seem to be tone deaf in your interactions with others. Look, I, I did go to way too many concerts in my younger years, and, and with our musical guests, you know, who often crank up their amps in this tiny studio when we're doing the show, yeah, I'm just grateful to be even be able to hear it all these days. You no, know, no, Spud, you're totally missing the point. What I'm saying... Look, like what you're you saying to... can wait till after the show. Man, just, just let me get back to Alan if you don't mind. Uh, oh, fine. Well, you know, Alan, you're a documented deep thinker in an era of, let's just say, a reduced emphasis on such. Do you, do you think we Americans can focus these days on anything deeper than, say, what's trending on Twitter or airing on Netflix? What do you think? I, you know, I don't know how you feel when you see a, a, a person in the street being interviewed on, on local news. I'm always surprised at how thoughtful they are. Mm -hmm. And it's, they don't speak about issues that concern them the way people often do on Twitter, where they got to squeeze a, often a snarky thought into a few, uh, uh, few words. But I, I have hope for us because I think, 
I think a- average ordinary people sometimes are, are more thoughtful than, than the people who are supposed to be leading them are. Right. So I, 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 have, I have a lot of hope for us. You know, I have a tough time sitting through congressional hearings like on C-SPAN. I know I need to watch them to be an informed citizen. Like It's like brushing your teeth, kind of. But I have to force myself to pay attention so you know there's no commercial breaks so you can't check your phone and stuff. But it just takes self-discipline. I guess we all need to like bear down a little bit, I guess, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it, it wouldn't hurt if people could be more personal when they are having those hearings. If they could speak in plain language and, re- and, and realize that the... I, this is just my opinion, but it seems to me the purpose of a public hearing is for the public to hear it and to get it, to understand it. And if, if it's just informal, jargonist, jargonistic language, right? What's what, what's being accomplished? I mean, it it, it should be a, a hearing should be fascinating, like a court trial. What's going on here? What can we learn? Who, who's got the information? How can we get it out of them? That's all fascinating stuff, but I agree with you. Very often it's kind of boring. Yeah, I know, but I still I, I still try to, as an informed citizen, try to make myself watch. But anyway, let me, let me touch on something more important than that. MASH, I, I was wondering for you. <laughs> MASH is more important than that. Yeah, after 11 seasons playing a doctor, have you ever second-guessed your own doctor and maybe offered a second opinion? No. No, I no, I never thought I was like a doctor. I, that that's really hard stuff. I, I'm always amazed that doctors take on the responsibility of other people's lives like that. I don't even recommend to my friends that they take aspirin. Oh, okay. I mean, I that that's that's scary. You know, you you got to know an awful lot to to think you you know. I, you know, it's always I always I'm amazed that people say. You got to take this regimen. You got to take this. Go see this doctor. He's the best. It's a big responsibility to take somebody's health in your own hands. So, no, I don't think I'm a doctor. Yeah, but let's just say this 11 seasons, you have a lot of knowledge there, but all right, I know you're modest. All right, I'll I'll move on from that. Um, (laughs) I'm careful. All right. Well, you also played a senator on the West Wing. And on our show, you know, we've been discussing the issue of health care. Why do you think we allow our politicians to have side jobs as contracted employees or whatever of the insurance and pharmaceutical companies? They seem to have like a dual uh, thing going. You know, that's just my opinion. Well, we're supposed to have checks against all kinds of abuses like what what I think you're describing. But sometimes there are loopholes accidentally or deliberately left in i guess i don't i don't really i don't know how it works i'm modest about that too i don't i, I try not to talk about things i don't know enough about yeah i guess that's that's my feeling i, I love to do that but yeah it's, it's, <laughs> well it's entertaining too but i yeah <laughs> I yeah i you know i i, I got i want to be careful to try to because i went in the book for instance I talk about things that I really think I've, I understand and I've, I've tested out with other people. We, I've, I've helped train over 8,000 doctors and scientists, and I've learned a lot that applies to people in business and, and as I mentioned, parents and children, that kind of thing. So I, do, I think I do understand that pretty well, well enough to, to write about it. But stuff I don't know, I, I think it's really important to know as much as you can what you don't know. Well, 
I'm just, I just wrote that down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll uh, circle back on that after we're done with this conversation. I'm gonna think about <laughs> okay. that. Well, well, Alan, you know, you've had other best-selling books like "Never Have Your Dog Stuffed" and other things I've learned. I myself have had many dogs over the years, and, and I miss them so much. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm second-guessing myself, and maybe not having at least a few of them stuffed. So it would be a bad idea. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, it was a bad idea for me because. The dog came back from the taxidermist with a horrible look on his face. He looked like he was going to leap at your throat. Oh. And he had these glass glass eyes, you know, he was staring at you with this ferocious look. The the, the thing that it meant to me, what, what I think I learned from that experience, even though I was only eight years old, was that you can't really hang on to something alive by stuffing it. It, it kind of, it, for me, it wiped out, in, to a great extent, it wiped out the memory of the living dog. And all I can see is this stuffed charade, a kind of a fraudulent look at what used to be. So I find it's, for me, for my own taste, I find it's better to let something I love that's gone away, let it go and move on to something else and maybe have a memory of the living thing instead of a memory of this hollow falsity, this faux thing. I, I, yeah, I, I guess if you could take that and, and, and place that logic onto people, too, so that's obviously would be a horrible idea. So, all right, well... Yeah, stuffing your grandmother is not a good idea. All right, okay, well, I know you got to go, so let me remind everyone that your new book, If I Understood You... Would I have this look on my face? Which I love that title, by the way. You, you read it very well. <laughs> yes. It's now available everywhere, and if it's not, ask for it. So I, I just want to seriously thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. I had a good time with you. Mr. Alan Alda. Ready, I sit, I go, man, go. I got to tell you about the Goodwin Show, because I'm ready. Ready, 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 I'm ready. Ready, 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 I'm ready. Ready, ready, ready. Okay, we we need some more music, and this one we pulled from a video podcast of ours, you know, we did a couple years ago, with the world's only heavy metal mariachi band. Oh, yeah. That's right, Metalachi. Uh, They were kind enough to do a performance for us at a Seattle club before a show, you know, later that night they were doing. Um, It was, was, you know, they're, they're great people. Here's their version of Master of Puppets. Hit it, Dave. Rainbow! Yeah! 
Hey, this is Larry the Cable Guy, and you're listening to the Spud Show. Anyway, I think you are. You're not. You're a communist. Uh, Deuce, uh, I'm not even listening to the Spud Show. What the hell am I talking about? Uh, Spud. Yeah. Well, I, I believe our executive producer, Lori, is calling in. Uh, she's telling the interns she wants to speak with you on the air. I'm thinking she knows you won't answer her calls. If she wants to speak with me, she can drive to the studio and talk to me in person. You know, just take the call as a favor to me. When you're insubordinate, it makes me very uncomfortable. You're such a wuss. I mean, you really need to grow a pair, but just just put her through. Yeah. Thank you. Here she is. Am I on now? Uh, just just please make this quick, as you've disrupted my momentum here. I was on a roll. But I-, I don't know if you read the papers or watch the news, but the FCC is on high alert for media personalities that are not showing proper difference for our current president. Def- I've been listening difference? to the show, especially your interview Did with you former difference? speaker Mr. Gingrich. And, <laughs> well, you're not following the directive I sent you this week. Understand, yeah, okay, we're whatever. carried on some terrestrial stations besides the online ones. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. This is still America, okay? The land of the free. No one can censor me. I am a talk show host, for God's sakes. And I thought, you know, my interview with former Speaker Gingrich went pretty well. He seemed cool about it. Well, I thought you really annoyed him myself. But remember, they investigated Stephen Colbert for what he said about President Trump on his show. I don't know. What are you talking about? 
You you know, you're really lucky the FCC hasn't come after you. As you said, some very critical things. Oh, right? I- I've been saying that for months, Lori. Ever since President Trump won the election, Spud has been unrelenting in his criticism of him. Hashtag landslide victory. Uh, hashtag Mother Russia. You know, with all that stuff coming out now, I'm betting he has dual citizenship. He just can't quit Russia. Hell will freeze over. The guy clearly has a thing for that country, and I don't care how many FBI directors he fires, eventually all the facts are going to come out. Listen, you cannot say the president is a Russian citizen. Well, maybe you can say he is uh, fond of Russia. Please think about the big picture. This show is more than just about you. Uh, My thoughts exactly. What's the big deal about Mr. Putin supporting President Trump in the campaign? He obviously wants to make America great again, too. Bud, why can't you be more like those hosts on Fox and Friends? Say nice things about our president every show, and they get huge ratings. Those homers... Fox and Friends sounds like a GOP infomercial, and the FCC can't find me for saying Trump is a I mean, even his staff and friends, if he has any, are well aware of this. And anyway, what's, you know, 20 or 30 bucks? It'd be well worth it, okay? No, no. We'll be talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. More money than you'll ever make in your lifetime. Really? Whoa. Just, just saying that he's a Stop being weak! That could cost me a couple hundred thousand. That's kind of harsh. You know, you would have to declare bankruptcy, Spud. At your age, it would be tough to recover financially. Listen, just do the right thing and recognize that President Trump is trying so hard to hashtag make America great again forever. Is it so hard to say something nice about him? Well, yeah, kind of. But I can I will, I can try. Let me, let's, let me work on it and I'm going to get back to you guys, okay? Well, we'll talk more about this tomorrow at our staff meeting. Yeah. Finish the show. I will be listening. Uh, I think she's gone. Yeah. But but remember, Spud, she is still listening. A big whoop. Hey, I need to take a break here, so somebody on the soundboard play something, all right? Hashtag tw- Trump 2020. North Korea. North Korea as a vacation spot will never get five stars. Like I'm pretty sure they don't have any cool bars or even any rental cars. You could say most of it looks like the surface of Mars, where people store a year's supply of food in jars. Germs are everywhere, so there's also a good chance to contact SARS. So let's all agree North Korea is a dump. But it's also a pretty smart real estate buy as a fixer-upper. You can thank me later. My, how time flies. Hey, can a, can a guy, uh, like, do a self-exam? You know, though, though I'm not exactly, I'm not going to be comfortable, okay, doing a prostate exam on myself yeah. either you know but that beats a strange unfamiliar finger you know uh that because that would be way more disconcerting right yeah no no i do not believe it's possible to do a self-exam on one's prostate okay I, right, unless you had right. extremely long arms hell no you can't 
I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Because my arms are, are like normal length and my fingers are not exactly super long either. Uh, I mean, they're not as short and stubby as Trump's, thank God. You know, I will never understand the continual jokes about President Trump's hand size. I find them in very poor taste. Hashtag witch hunt. I, I think you caused all of us just now uh, to experience a movantic moment. Uh, hashtag prime the pump. Uh, it's okay. So let's be honest, Spud. I never did hear you complain about Obamacare when he was in the office. Now that our current commander-in-chief is trying to replace that disaster of healthcare legislation with Speaker Ryan's, you can't stop criticizing their plan. Give it a chance. Let's see what the Senate finally comes up with. It's going to be a thing of beauty. Everyone hates their plan, too, as it looks as bad or worse. Well... Like, I know Obamacare needs to be updated and some parts need to be fixed, but the freaking Republicans and insurance companies are letting it burn down right now. Why don't they do the right thing for this country and my prostate? There are some things that are more important than just your prostate, Spud, though you do need to have that looked at. I'm serious. You understand how dangerous uh, the mandate is to buy insurance under Obama's plan? It ignored our Constitution, and it destroyed our country. Look, alternative facts are not facts. Maybe, but I'd rather be alive and living under the long arm of a, a government-mandated insurance plan than, than be a free, dead, disease-riddled corpse. It's not a tough call. You're Besides, not. we're all obligated to buy car insurance, right? What's what's more important, your minivan or your life? Well, I am pregnant. As I've said previously, what would come next? A government-ordered sex education program for all citizens? Well, from what I read in women's magazines at my chiropractor's office, that might be a really good idea. Mm. Do you know how pissed off they are at men knowing absolutely nothing about their bodies? I mean, I'm no expert myself, but at least I read Cosmo and Redbook a couple times a year. Oh, listen, I can assure you, mother or, or my wife, Rachel, is not upset at me for my lack of knowledge of female body parts. And let's just leave it at that. You know, people lie a lot, so you got to be on your toes. Weren't both of you virgins when you got married? I mean, how would either of you know if the other knows what the heck they're doing? That would be like someone who has never heard music before trying to write a rock opera. What, comparing marital intercourse with rock music is not only inappropriate, just, it's, it's... Just keep your wife away from Cosmo and Red Book, uh, or all hell's gonna break loose when the kids are put to bed. That's all I'm saying. Good call, yo. If I would be so bold to say... My wife and I are very knowledgeable about lovemaking, and she certainly does not need to read those publications. And then I say, like, whale sharks. I'm like, oh, that must mean a whale and a shark have sex. Yeah, uh, if you say so, whatever. Yeah, listen, okay. I know you're anyway. once again trying to plant the seed of doubt in my mind here, and I won't allow it. Please, don't make me put my hands over my ears and start humming. Okay, don't, don't do that, man. Don't, 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 don't do that, okay? You know, when you do that, it always makes me feel like I'm like a, an overly critical parent or something, so I'm going to change the subject, and I'm just going to close the show right now. Thank you, and I would like to encourage you, and I'm serious, do make that appointment with your doctor, but you only have one prostate. I guess I'm going to call around or go online and see what you know the best price for the exam is. Is there a website that compares prices for this type of thing, like uh, like Angie's List? Uh, I don't think I should have to move to Canada to get a decent price. No, not that I'm aware of. But you know, maybe you've inspired some ambitious entrepreneur out there in our audience. Russia, if you're listening, you know, maybe if that stupid GOP plan ever becomes reality, I'll be attending my first town hall meeting. You can bank on that, and I'll be screaming at my congressman. I'm Teddy Powers! Saying, dude, where's my health care? Hmm. All right, I'm done here. 
I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. So let's close the show with a little bit of a nifty tune from a band that played this on my old TV show in Seattle at KTZZ. They played this live in 93, but this is a live version from 2009. The band is led by Dick Rossetti, who, by the way, is the subject of a very fine documentary by Isaac Olson. Semi-iconic, The Ballad of Dick Rossetti. Look for it online now. Here is Squirt. Between you yeah. and I, the prostate exam deal is actually somewhat pleasant as long as you're able to relax your body. Then the doctor... But dude, I already said uh, I'm a very private person and I limit that area to only me, Spud Goodman. There's no way I can relax my body that much. Uh, I would have to like be knocked out, I think, for me to actually do this. I don't think they're going to give you a general anesthetic for a routine prostate exam. Don't they do that with those colonoscopies? I've never had one this of those not... either, but, but I keep reading that they're really important to get, you know. I don't know. My, my neighbor just had one, and, and they knocked him out before they did anything in that area. That's so hot. Well, I suppose you could ask a doctor to do both at the same time, but I've never heard of it done that way. Do, do, do they give you, like, a lollipop or a, you know, a cookie or something when they're done? Because I got a chocolate chip cookie when I gave blood a few years ago. Uh... You know what? My doctor just gave me a handshake when I was done with my prostate exam, and that was about it. Well, I, I hope he washed his hands before the handshake. Yeah. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, I don't remember. You, you, you know, you're really basically a walking Petri dish of germs and viruses. And that's why I'm always breaking out my Purell bottle when you touch my stuff. You kind of give me the creeps, to be honest. Oh, well, I'm sorry you feel that way about me. I can assure you, I am not a carrier of foreign bodies of any kind. Yeah, yeah right. Any, just, just please turn your mouth away when you speak with me, okay? Something I'm meaning to, to talk to you about. There are millions of particles that spew out when you talk. Do you, do you realize that? Would you ever consider wearing one of those ventilator things, those... That the people wear over their mouths when they're painting or, or when people like doctors do surgeries? What, what, what do you think? How, how can I wear one of those while I'm doing a radio show? I, I wouldn't be able to be heard that well. Yeah, I, 
Well, I know, but oh. anyway, just just think about it, all right? Anyway, I, I got to get out of here right now, So, but think about it for my sake. I got to go. Later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Copyright 2017, Spud Goodman Productions.